Blog Talk Radio. Tonight on Dr. Anonymous Show 156, uh, it's going to be a good show here tonight. Uh, our guest uh, coming up will be uh, Dr. Jerry Tolbert. Uh, he is uh, a, a resident doctor in family medicine, and uh, I haven't talked to him in a while, And but uh, he stumbled onto my uh, Facebook page and show here and said, hey, I want to come on and talk about geeky stuff, some other stuff there too. So, uh, uh, and uh, hey, you know, he has a blog and he has Twitter, you know, so uh, we'll talk about that. Uh, all that and a lot more coming up <laughs> on the Dr. Anonymous show starting right now. and social media have to offer. This is the Dr. Anonymous Show live on Blog Talk Radio. I am, of course, your favorite physician host. My name is Mike, but my friends, like all of you out there in Internet land, you call me Dr. A, and you can always find me at anonymous.com. That brings you the most current show schedule and also some blog posts. I admit I've been slacking to get back blogging again. And also some uh, TV interviews I've been doing uh, here with uh, local TV news on various health topics, so you can check that out over there. You can also go to dranonymous.net. Shout out to all 187 of my Facebook fans over there. That brings you to my Facebook uh, uh, fan site over there. Also, some exclusive behind-the-scenes video of this show. Very exciting. You can also go to DrAnonymous.org. That brings you right to my iTunes page where you can subscribe to this show. Also, leave a comment. We would appreciate that. And I also know you can also listen to this show in real time your iPhone or BlackBerry, I know you're out there, just direct your mobile browser to blogtalkradio.com slash Dr. Anonymous, and you can listen to this show in real time. That's right. Very exciting. Today is Thursday, March 25th, 2010. It is 9 p.m. Eastern Time, and uh, temperature at broadcast here at Dr. Anonymous World Headquarters it is 36 degrees Fahrenheit. It is raining, a cold rain here through the day here in uh, northeastern Ohio. Are right, coming up in just a little bit uh, is my good friend Jerry Tolbert, MD, MPH, 
And uh, we met a few years ago, and uh, he's currently in uh, uh, Greenwood, South Carolina, a, a family medicine resident, a resident doctor, a doctor in training, very exciting, good times. And he has journeyed into the social media space. You can check out Hooley Minted blog by going to Paging Dr. Geek, Paging Dr. Geek. Dot blogspot.com. Show him some love over there. And uh, he is also, he also has his Twitter page. That's on Twitter. You can uh, subscribe to him on Twitter at dr Tolbert, D R T O L B E R T, as of right now, as of right this second. Ten followers, but I know during the course of this show, and also for those people who are listening on the archives, follow this guy because uh, I think it's going to be good. He's going to be very, very exciting, very entertaining, and we'll talk about that. But first, I would like to thank Blog Talk Radio for featuring the show again this evening on their front page. Welcome those of you who are new to the show. I have been a social media hobbyist since 2005, and if you're curious, yes, I am a real doctor. I am a family physician in full-time private practice, meaning I see patients five days a week in the hospital and in my office here in beautiful northeastern Ohio. If you're listening live, and how can you not listen to this show, you can see my smiling face on the webcam this evening. If you're new to the show, just go to the top of the chat room box. You see the little webcam icon. You click it and you see me doing the show right for your eyes. And just to let you know, yes, there is a little bit of a delay between the video stream and the audio stream, but don't let that scare you. <laughs> And uh, before I go to my break, I do want to give a big shout to everybody here in my chat room. We have Crazy Girl, Crazy Girl, she's crazy. <laughs> Our good friend Emily, Crazy Girl, CrazyGirl.net. And we have a bunch of guests probably here to see our beloved guest uh, tonight. And I encourage the guests in the chat room to register here at the Blog Talk Radio site where you can uh, chat along with us and make fun of us during the show that's always uh, very entertaining, the show within the show. <laughs> and also, Ramona is in our chat room. Thank you for joining. And Job Yulani, listening live in Great Britain right now, where it is in the middle of the night. Thank you so much for uh, getting up in the middle of the night to listen to this show live. That always humbles me when the international people uh, come into the chat room live. So uh, I think I have everything under here. Uh, so I will take my quick break. And after the break, we will have our guest. You're listening to the Dr. Anonymous show, a proud member of the uh, Better Health Network. You can get there by going to getbetterhealth.com. And I'm a member of the ProMed Network, a podcast. You can get there by going to ProMedNetwork.com. <laughs> and uh, just for our guest, <laughs> you'll probably like this. is probably such an insight show, but I think it's kind of funny. Uh, we will be right back after this.
tiger snoo. What happened last night? Did they dream of mauling zebras? Or Halle Berry in her catwoman suit? Nobody's seen Doug. He's not here. Oh, shit. Don't you worry, you pretty striped head. We're gonna get you back to Tyson and your cozy tiger bed. And then we're gonna find our best friend Doug. And then we're gonna give him a best friend hug. Who was that guy? He was so mean. Doug, Doug, Doug. I married a whore! What is going on? But if you've been murdered by crystal meth tweakers... No! In the face! In the face! No! Well, then we're shit out of luck. I'm gonna beat ya! <laughs> Rough night? Mm -hmm. What do you guys got under there? Tiger. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, lowering our blood pressure one point at a time. This is the Dr. Anonymous Show live on Blog Talk Radio. And on the line we have with us right now, paging Dr. Geek. Dr. Jerry Tolbert is with us. Thank you for being on the show there, man. Thanks, Mike. Thanks for having me. Hey, uh, yeah, so, uh, so yeah, you like, you like the hangover clip there, man? It was awesome. That was very nice. It was very, very nice. <laughs> uh so I was I was uh, I was trying to think uh when uh when you and I first uh, met here I, I I can't remember it's been it has it been like 3 or 4 years ago or something like that or I can't quite remember Actually been longer than that I think I was um I, you mentioned that earlier and I was I was trying to think I think it was somewhere around 2003 so almost 7 years ago Wow jeez yeah, uh, that was back when MK and I had just really first met, and uh, he introduced me to you. I think right around then. Yeah, we we, we should give a shout out to the uh, to the to the king, <laughs> <laughs> Doctor Michael King. is the king of the University of Kentucky. He is he, he is your family medicine down there at UK, and uh, uh, I know he'll hear about this interview at some point, and uh, I have a talk. Him. When was the last time I talked to him? Probably about two, three years ago. I did a uh, family medicine review course about two, three years ago, and uh, I saw him. I saw his place. I saw his family, and uh, uh, yeah, I, I have to get back in touch with him. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, he's uh, 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 he's great with you guys. I mean, he's a, he's he's a, a great mentor to have, and uh, um, I know all these people in the room probably don't know who he is, but uh, uh, but it's, it, that's how we met, and uh, uh, it's it's. I can't believe it's been that long since uh, since we first met. I couldn't either until you know until I started thinking about it, and then it kind of sunk in. It just makes me feel old. <laughs> that is old I am, man. Oh, okay. 
so uh, so yeah, so so last week's guest, you know, last week's guest was a family medicine doctor, a family medicine doc, and uh, I always uh, always like to start my interviews with a really really hard question. Um, so uh, so what drew you toward, towards family medicine? What, what's cool about being a family doc? The the easy answer is being able to do everything. Um, you know, the geek answer, which I'm fond of is, you know, I remember growing up watching things like Star Trek and, and, and some of those other, um, all those other shows set in the future. And everywhere, every one of them had a position of some sort. Um, and I always kind of imagined family medicine being kind of like that, um, being on the other side of it now. Yeah, it, it actually is kind of like that. <laughs> you do a little bit of everything. Uh, so Bones McCoy was kind of the, the reason I... I uh, jokingly say I chose family medicine. Um, oh. <laughs> now, on a more serious note, um, I, um, you know, regardless of religious affiliation, you know, for your listeners in general, um, you know, I have a, a pretty strong draw to international medicine. Um, and so uh, that was something I thought family medicine would give me the opportunity to kind of do those things in a setting uh, where. I was able to provide whatever care was necessary um, instead of being the doctor. When they say, is there a doctor on the plane, you know, he hides in, in the seat instead of, uh, instead of jumping up and running to the, to, to the patient's aid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How many um, jump up on an airplane? So, so growing up, uh, I mean, was anybody in your family in medicine, or did, did you have uh, you know mentors growing up uh, when you were you know a little kid or in high school as far as being influenced towards medicine and then family medicine? Well, um, interestingly enough, um, it wasn't until I was in high school that my dad became a doctor, but um, he's actually a family medicine doctor as well. Um, so right at home, but he kind of started out the, the long way. He was a paramedic and. I was actually a medic in the National Guard first and then was a nurse for several years and then finally became a doctor. And um, watching all of that from the inside and the outside, I just realized that's what I wanted to do. Cool. Hmm. And uh, how, was your, uh, uh, how would you describe your uh, medical school experience uh, to, uh, to my listeners here uh, as far yeah, just in general and then as far as your, your influences you know, towards uh, family medicine as a specialty? <laughs> well, um, I actually was trained at the birthplace of family medicine, at least that's what they like to say, uh, at the University of Kentucky. And uh, they have a very strong tradition of uh, primary care focus. Um, as you mentioned before, Mike King was probably one of my big role models while I was there. Uh, he's a, one of the faculty physicians that was sort of in the same class range as, as Dr. Anonymous and has a uh, just passion for teaching. Uh, that's the best way to put it, I guess. Um, and he kind of fed that in and, and passion for family medicine that goes along with it, fed that into us as a family medicine interest group. Um, I also had the opportunity to work with a whole lot of great physicians from other specialties that really reinforced to me that, you know, within family medicine we can do a whole lot of things. And those those physicians kind of reinforced to me that we need to get the best training we can from the source instead of being third and fourth generation out, um, you know, training with the, the, the people that deal with those things each and every day. Um, and that kind of pushed me to work harder, to get better at a lot of things instead of being very shallow at a whole lot of things. Yeah, cool, cool. 
Um, so then uh, uh, you're a resident now, but you're not in Kentucky anymore. You're in uh, you're in South Carolina. Um, and uh, how was uh, how was resident life uh, going for you? Are you in your second year now? Yes, sir. Second year. And uh, how's your how, how, uh, something I get asked a lot is an intern year. How was that? How would you describe your your intern year experience to you know somebody who you know maybe has you know, never went through that before? Um. Wow, that's it. that is probably the hardest question you've asked me so far. Um, without having a frame of reference, the best thing I can compare it to is um, I, I don't want to take away from being a parent, a new parent, but I kind of think of it that way. Um, you go a lot without sleep. There are a lot of people yelling and screaming and crying, uh, people um, pooping and peeing on themselves a lot. Um, it, it's kind of a, a, a nasty mess. But um, at the same time, I think I learned more in a year's time than even my four years of medical school could have taught me. It was just a, a large volume of information dumped into my head um, in a personal, uh, very, I guess, structured way. Um, kind of like that drinking from a fire hose analogy they use with us all when we start medical school. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, so to kind of give the people an idea of uh, kind of kind of framing this uh, for them. Um, so, is is the hospital in the town you're at? Is it, you know, is it a university type setting? Is it a really big hospital? Is it a small community hospital? Is it a medium sized community hospital? Just to kind of give people a lot of an idea of of where you're coming from. Um, it's actually a combination. Uh, I chose to come here to, to Greenwood, to the self-regional hospital here, uh, because it's kind of the best of both worlds. Uh, the, it is a community-based family medicine program, which means basically there's no college affiliated with it, no medical school. We do work loosely with MUSC and USC, but we're not directly affiliated with them. There are no other residency programs at the hospital, so we're the only residents in the house. We are the house doctors, so um, if an unassigned patient for obstetrics, medicine, pediatrics comes through the door, we're the ones that uh, take care of them. And uh, it's a really neat opportunity because it's sort of a secondary care center, which uh, I guess to explain that, the hospitals in our area, we serve a seven-county area, which serves, uh, wow, probably more than 40,000 people. So for a small town, it's kind of big. Uh, but we serve several outlying hospitals that may have 10 or 20 beds. Our facility actually has uh, somewhere upwards of 400 beds, I think, the last time I checked. And uh, we have pretty significantly um, advanced neonatal ICU as well as a medicine ICU that we use um, and a cardiac intensive care unit as well, um, all of which are uh, just for really sick patients. Um, we're not as, as big as the university, which I guess uh, colleges and, and, and universities that have medical schools have those huge um, facilities to take care of a whole lot of people. But we do have... Um, that kind of experience. We're right on the front lines of all of that. So, wow. Yeah, and, and, and for that first year, that intern year, we're doing mostly house officer stuff. Um, I have, meaning we just take care of everybody that comes to the door, and we have, um, the program itself is sort of front-loaded. It's more intense than some, less intense than others, but we spend six months on internal medicine ward service, meaning we see all the patients in the hospital that are that um, 
that don't have a doctor or come to us as a doctor or come to several family physicians out in the community as a doctor who don't have privileges at our hospital. So our average service runs somewhere between 30, 32 um, at, during the busiest times, um, which means that we're taking care of probably 12 to 13 patients apiece um, each and every day as interns, as first-year residents, and then there's a, an upper-level resident backing us up and then an attending physician backing them up. And so you're never alone, but you're always um, being pushed to do the most that you can physically do uh, to learn and to know about those patients and to have all of the details down and to be sure that you're taking care of them in a way that, you know, not only educates them but also um, makes them better. So so you, you yourself are taking care of 12, 10 to 12 patients at kind of a peak time. Is that right? Yes, that's, that's exactly right. Um, when I was an intern, I think the most I had on my service during Christmas time, we kind of shuffle services around so people can actually have some time off. Uh, I think the most I had was 18, um, which is a lot, and it can be overwhelming at times, but there's always, again, that safety net. I was taking care of those patients myself, and I was responsible for them, and I was making medical decisions for them, but there was somebody else um, more experienced than me that had had, you know, at that point had two more years of training, and then another person that had 15 to 20 more years of training over us. So you had the chance to kind of fly. It was kind of like training wheels. You had a chance to, to ride hard, but you didn't have to uh, be afraid of, of falling over if, if you made a mistake. Right, right. Wow. Um, so, so is something like the uh, well, I, I would presume the uh, like the uh, like your obstetric service, uh, your OB service, is that that's separate than the house service? Is that right? Yes, the obstetrics and pediatric services are separate, but <clears throat> but when we're on call overnight, um, we take call for both pediatrics and obstetrics. Those are joined together. So. Um, Right now, I'm actually on obstetrics, so delivering a lot of babies um, and uh, taking care of a lot of women's health issues. We do a combination of obstetrics, gynecology, rotation, and, and so um, it, it's a chance to really get good at dealing with those issues specifically. Um, we deliver babies. We participate in C-sections. Usually, we're not the primary doctor doing the C-section. We can be um, if we're interested, um, but uh, there's always... Again, there's always that safety net of, of a very experienced obstetrical physician who is a practicing OB in the community, uh, standing there with us, guiding us, telling us, you know, what to do if we need it. Um, same with peds. Actually, our, our program is, is unique in that we have two board-certified pediatricians uh, that are our attendings for all of our pediatric service, which is really handy um, because, um, it's again, it's going back to that idea of training with the source instead of, you know, training with a third generation or fourth generation out from the source. So I guess, I guess now, I mean, kind of kind of looking back on things now, I mean, what what what? Uh, uh, and I always enjoy asking this question. You know, what, what did you learn about yourself going through those twelve months as an intern? As far as you know, there's the knowledge part, but I mean, you know, there's you know, an intern is is uh, uh, so much more than just learning the book knowledge. It's it it is learning how to balance a lot of different things. Uh, balance your personal life, your home life, with your work life, and balancing work itself as far as having all of these different responsibilities. Um, is that your pager? No, no, no. Are you getting beat because I don't I'm 
um, because, I mean, it had to be, you know, it, it's interesting, I mean, kind of going through that and then looking back, because, you know, now you're probably, you know, uh, supervising some intern residents now, and, and you're like, oh, I was there, and I can help you with this. Yeah, that's actually, um, it's been a topic of discussion here these last few months, because um, our services did get extremely busy, and our new interns were having to deal with a lot of those same issues. I guess the biggest thing I learned about myself, uh, you know, and this is going to sound kind of funny when I first say it, is that I really am, um, you know, I, I was officially diagnosed, I guess I should say, with ADHD, um, and I had always thought that, um, excuse me, but I had always, always sort of overcompensated for it by um, several different methods, um, and I was always blessed to have a pretty good memory. And so that got me out of a lot of situations. In high school, I didn't have to work very hard. In college, should have worked harder than I did. <clears throat> in med school, um, I actually got into a few situations where, um, honestly, I, I probably should have um, worked harder the first time, but um, ended up having to, and I guess this jumps back, but also teaching me about myself, I actually had to go back and repeat my first year of medical school because even though I passed everything, I passed at, at a very, you know, sort of a C level. And um, at the University of Kentucky, that's um, that's not good enough, which I'm glad. I'm very glad that that was the case. Um, you know, do you want the guy that passed the seat taken care of or the guy that passed you know, no one's material? So uh, I went back, did first year over again, and flew through it, um, really got the details down and, and got a firm grounding in all out of that basic science, which kind of carried me over to this intern year. Uh, that's the reason I'm bringing it up is that I realized at that point that I had to have a pretty good focused strategy for dealing with things. Um, and I couldn't just uh, wall off those parts of myself when I was doing other things. If I was dealing with, you know, we're going to talk about gadgets and technology. When I was dealing with that stuff, I couldn't wall myself off from medicine. I couldn't wall myself off from my social life and my private life with my, with my wife and, and my family and, and all of those other people. Um, I had to, be, had to be sort of that all things to all people. Um, and to do that, that's, I guess that's one of the things that I've been, been learning, and I'm still learning, is how to do that and not go crazy. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, one of, the, one of the things that is not talked about a lot or at all um, is, um, uh, and I, I'm not saying this for, to get any sympathy at all from anybody, but um, you know, the whole medical school, um, and sometimes, for the most part, residency process, especially intern year, um, it really drives you down. I mean, it, it, it tears you down um, as a person um, because, uh, you know, for, for the most part, for most people going through grade school and high school and college, I mean, you know, the, you know, you know, top of the class, that's how you get into medical school. But uh, after you get there, um, you know, first year of, of medical school and pretty much the first year of, you know, residency internship, um, it sucks. It's horrible. It drives it down. Um, and it's interesting that you shared uh, with us that, you know, that you went back um, and, you know, kind of did that again. Uh, that had to be a really tough uh, decision, um, or not even decision, but to go through that again. Know that you had to go through that again. I mean, that had to be tough to, to do, I would presume. It was, it was tough initially um, making, like you said, the decision. I mean, the, the, once I was committed to it, it, it got a whole lot easier because I knew – this is what I'm going to be doing. I, there's nothing I can do to change that. And so, you know, I went back and, 
and started from the beginning. Um, and I worked as hard as I could at that point to make it a part of me. Instead of instead of being, um, I, I guess instead of being the information that I knew, it was the information that was a part of me that I could use at a moment's notice. Um, and it's amazing to me sometimes how much of that stuff I can just pull back out um, without thinking about it. And I, I think had I not gone back and done it again, there's no way I would be able to do that now. Um, I have I had a, a, a great overview. I big pictures I knew um, in and out, but detail stuff was stuff that I didn't. Um, so did, did you find like uh, like a new or different way to learn the same material, or was it just really just a lot of repetition, or uh, a little bit of both, or just you know a different way of thinking, critical thinking? Um, you know, I mean, I don't want to dive into this too much. I'm just kind of curious on this topic since you brought it up. Right. No, it was all of the above actually. Um, and succinctly, I learned that I can't. Um, I have to be distraction free. Um, even though you know everybody likes to brag about being a multitasker, I realized early on, five, seven years ago, that multitasking doesn't really work. Um, you can do O-task, maybe two at the most, but beyond that, everything else starts to suffer. And so I started studying, you know, studying, isolating myself when I was doing it and focusing entirely on those things. Um, I started to realize as well that while being a night owl is great in college, um, as a medical student, I had to turn, I had to flip that over. I had to become a, a morning person, and I guess from from that standpoint, um, I realized that I couldn't study for tests, you know, the night before and cram and, and go to Steak and Shake and sit in there and study for four hours. I had to get up early on the morning of the test and review my material then, um, after having already gone back and reviewed it several times while I was learning it. And it's just, like you said, the repetition, those things, just just basic study skills, stuff that I hadn't really had to worry about before that point. If you're just joining us, our guest is uh, Dr. Jerry Tolbert. He is a family medicine resident um, from Greenwood, South Carolina. And uh, I do want to give uh, an opportunity to, uh, another shout out to the uh, people in our chat room. We have Crazy Girl. We have our guests, a bunch of unregistered guests. I encourage the guests to register here at the Block Talk Radio site so you can chat along with us here. We have the Lame New Year's. So thank you for joining us. We have Liz. We have Ramona. Uh, Spacey Stacy, that's kind of funny. Uh, Girl 007 and uh, AP Jonas, a longtime listener of the show. So thank you for all uh, joining us here uh, this evening. Uh, and uh, Jerry, I, I do want to ask you about the because uh, um, uh, when uh, when I met you, um, there's a lot of people, uh, your peers at the time, that were doing things like MD, MPH, uh, you know, more type of education and and training. Uh, can you describe a little bit about the the the, uh, you know, the the MPH, the Masters of Public Health, and how that kind of fits into your education uh, right now? Sure. The Masters in Public Health is um, basically what it sounds like. You talk about all the topics that affect um, broad spectrum healthcare. You know, we talk about in medicine, we talk about all these different studies and the the, the I guess things like even this, and I don't want to get into this at all because it's a whole other can of worms, but the, this new healthcare plan that's coming up, how, how things affect people on a global level. For instance, the whole blow up over the, the um, mammogram recommendations and, and what the U.S. Preventive Task Force really does. Um, 
things like that, looking at the statistics and looking at the population-based medicine instead of looking at individual patients. Um, and the, I guess, the way that applies now and the way I use it now as a, as a, as a practicing physician is more or less learning that a lot of those studies, if you really break them down, are good at looking on a population level but are very bad for each individual when it comes to trying to tailor their, their care. They, they give you very broad sweeping um, ideas for what to do, but when it comes down to it, um, you're in of one, which is just that, that, great, um, that great statistical term, in of one, meaning there's a, each person is an individual and that person is different than every other person that you're going to treat. Um, and some things may work and other things may not, even though the study says it should work. Hmm, okay. And, and when do you actually do the coursework for the, for the MPH degree then? Um, for me, I actually did it um, prior to uh, my medical school training. I did it the year before I got into med school. Uh, I took a year off and went to public health school and did the majority of the coursework then. Actually, I'll be honest with you, I'm about three hours short right now of the true degree. Um, I just sort of, I have the knowledge, and so the letters haven't really been as, as um, important to me, those letters at the end of my name. Uh, for what I'm going to be doing as a practicing physician, probably uh, community physician, the way things are looking right now, I don't necessarily know that the, the, the knowledge is way more important than the letters at, at that point. Hmm, okay. Okay. Some people, some people uh, though, in my class did it in between. Um, they would do two years of medical school, the first two years, which are the, the book study years, and then the, the middle year um, was their uh, master's in public health year, which uh, the master's itself was about 36 hours when I started. I expanded that a little bit. And then the um, following two years, which are your clinical years of medical school, where you're actually out on the floor seeing patients and doing things like that, come at the end. So it's a total of five years. Uh, for no, really, no matter how you split it. Okay. Yeah, I I, I have been looking at that uh, for years now to see, you know, would it be a try for it or what would I really do with that type of thing? Um, so basically, when I started my my job here, I was thinking about getting it in case, uh, you know, I got fired <laughs> and uh, I would need something to fall back on. So as the years go, uh, um, I'm I'm considering it less, but it's still a fascinating topic. Uh, public health is something that is something I don't know a lot about. Um, I've always wanted to learn more about it, and I'm learning a little bit more about it um, every year, just uh, from a practical standpoint, uh, just from my practice. Um, so it, it is it is interesting. It is overwhelming, um, and I love talking to people um, who who have done the degree or who are really really passionate about public health uh, because it is important. Um, it, it, uh, uh, trying to for me to fit it in practically um, in my everyday work. Yeah, and that's that's kind of where I struggle with that last three hours is that I can fit in everything else that I've learned into what I'm doing on a daily basis. I can also have pretty good discourse. Um, I have a pretty good relationship with our health education centers here in the state. Um, I've talked to a few of them uh, at turns when we have certain what looks to me like an outbreak, um, and you know they'll get involved, and then we kind of coordinate together. It, it's it's also nice when it comes to um, I, I don't know I, I guess just 
looking at things critically and doing the math and being able to understand what those numbers really mean versus just looking at those numbers and saying, oh, there's a 10% decrease in death from this medicine. Uh, that's great. Well, 10% of 1% change, uh, you know, it's a 10% relative change, um, but it's really only a 1% decrease in death, which means one person out of 100 that die, um, one, per, one person fewer is going to die. It may be that only two people in a million die from that every year. So really, the difference you're looking at is, is less than one person in a million. Um, but the way they spin it when it comes to television or, or magazines or even medical literature is that it's this most amazing thing in the world. You drop 10%. Yeah, yeah, like that. Like where where like research studies kind of come into my life is is uh, when all these drug reps come in and they uh, they give this statistic and that statistic. And uh, um, as I've gone through the years and my wealth of experience, uh, some of those uh, statistics really just don't really matter. Exactly. Downright, <laughs> downright. I don't want to say lies because they're not really lies. They're just very misleading. There are exaggerations. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, while we do this, uh, we'll uh, we'll, t- we'll we'll get to the geeky stuff here. So uh, I did I did want to get some of that academic stuff and the interesting stuff out of the way uh, because I I like talking about it. Um, but uh, I know that uh, you wanted to come on the show to talk about uh, geeky stuff, and I do too. So uh, we will take a short break here and talk right after the break here. You're listening to the show live on Block Talk Radio. Our guest, continuing after the break, will be Dr. Jerry Tolbert from Greenwood, South Carolina, Family Medicine Reticent. We will be right back. That's right. Curing that pesky rash just with the sound of my voice. This is the Dr. Anonymous Show live on Blog Talk Radio, continuing uh, again with our guest, our good, our good, our good friend Jerry Tolbert from uh, Greenwood, South Carolina. So, um, so Jerry, you, uh, I know that you uh, started, you started communicating uh, on Facebook when this whole iPad thing. Let's talk iPad here a little bit. Uh, so I, I'm excited about it, um, but you know when it when it uh, when it came out for the pre-orders, I did not pull the trigger. I did not uh, I did not order one. I, and right now I'm still thinking I'm not gonna, I'm still going to wait around a little bit. What well, has your excitement kind of waned yet on it, or not really? Well, you know I've I've been excited about it, uh, but just like you, I know deep down that I don't want to order one. I didn't pre-order one. I don't want the first generation. Um, I purposely didn't buy an iPhone for the first generation for that reason. They're great products, both of them, um, and they're going to serve, you know, they both have a niche in the in medicine and in computing in general. But I personally still feel like the platform itself, the iPad platform, the tablet platform, which is really probably the broader issue, uh, is going to be the future when it comes to medicine. Um, 
saying that, what I mean is we have a lot of, and actually my blog post from today when I was sitting in clinic without any patients, uh, was was sort of formed around that, the idea that that tablet platform actually gives you the opportunity to put things at a first-order retrievability level, meaning if you want something, you hit one button and that's what you find. Instead of having to pay someone to go to, sorry, this the Bojangles in South Carolina thing just come. <laughs> no, it's okay. It's okay to let the chat room distract you, so it's all right. <laughs> so I... Um, so the the thought though is that you know if you have to pay somebody, even if you're paying them four dollars an hour, which isn't legal anyway, but uh, even if you're paying them four dollars an hour to run and grab you a chart and bring it back to you, um, that's time wasted. And when it comes to tablet computing, uh, it makes EMRs, electronic medical records, much easier to deal with. There isn't the delay that you have with uh, paper from that standpoint. Now, granted, in people that aren't tech savvy and in the existing systems that we have, which require a lot more effort um, as far as computing goes, it can slow people down initially. And once you get good with a system, you can, you can actually become more productive. But when, you, when it comes to things like the iPad or the iPhone, there is a huge potential to make all of medicine, when it comes to charting even, first order retrievable, uh, meaning when I write a note on a patient, um, in the current EMR that we have, and I'm not going to name names because we're actually changing and I'm not going to name that name either, but nice. in, the, in the current system that we have, I cannot complete a note in the time that I'm seeing a patient. I can do a pretty fair job. I can probably get 70% of it done, but if I tried to complete the note in the time that I was seeing the patient, it would take away from seeing the patient. Uh, whereas even doctors now that dictate, um, you get a pretty good job of sort of like that, or that ideal of first order retrievability. When you dictate, it, you can almost um, just say exactly what you're telling the patient. You're doing two things at once. Um, from the standpoint of an EMR, if you don't have a good entry method, and that's what I was referring to when I said that the iPad has such potential, if you don't have a good entry method, getting the information from your mind into that record uh, is never going to be as fast as just writing it down or saying it out loud. Right. Because we've been all been using pens and paper for all of our lives. You know, and, and granted, I've been having, um, you know, I've been having a computer revolution for 25 years. You know, I don't, I, I used my first Apple IIe when I was four and a half years old. And, nice. Um, you know, and, 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 and again, I have no platform love. I'm not, I'm, I use PCs, I use Macs, I use, um, you know, my primary computer right now, if, if we're being honest, is my iPhone. I don't even have a, a true laptop or a desktop anymore. And so... You don't have a netbook at all? No, I have nothing. Um, because... I can do everything on the iPhone that I would normally do with a, with a computer. Um, those blog posts that you've been reading, all of my note taking, all of my um, you know my framing and my, my rough drafts and everything, were all done on the iPhone. I've all right. So let me uh, let, let, let me uh, let me give you a quiz here then. So you have your iPhone in front of you, I, I presume then, right? Yeah. So what 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 are what are your favorite apps on on your phone related to medicine? 
Related to medicine, uh, the primary app that I use right now uh, the most is probably Hippocrates. Um, and again, I hate to name drop. I'm actually, I've been an Hippocrates advocate since I started med school, basically. They have, and by advocate, I'm not just saying I like it. They have a program called the Advocate Program, and I applied to become one when I was a first-year med student and actually got it. Um, and it, they basically ship out all of the the new stuff to us so that we get to try it out first. We get to play around with their... their really? Stuff. My yeah. new best friend. Pretty sweet. Yeah, well, and that's the other thing. I'm everybody's new best friend because... <laughs> Because we have the opportunity to give people, like, you know, the essentials, which is, like, the big version that you have to pay for. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, we have the opportunity to give out, like, three months, you know, for people that want to try it out or want to try out, you know, expand what they've already got. And so I am everybody's. I, 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 uh, I think you've got all these new uh, Twitter followers now. They're just going right, to be like, hey, hey what up, man? Can, can I have a trial? Uh, yeah. Uh, but in, in the, the great part about it is I get to see all of those wonderful um, new products as they're coming out. Uh, right now they're working on an EMR uh, for small practices, you know, single physician or, or couple physician practices. And uh, I've already really uh, pushed <laughs> to, uh, to get into that, even at the beta level, because I believe in what they've done. They've taken an, the, an iPhone app, iPod app. Actually, I started out with an iPod Touch. Um, they've taken that app and made it into something that I use hour by hour, not just daily, but hour by hour. Um, and I would be almost lost without it. There are all kinds of different references out there that you can use. There are books. There's paper. There's, there's, um, you know, there are other computer apps. There are other iPhone apps. But right. I, that's the one that I use because I know it well enough, and it has. To me, it has really, really good first-order retrievability for information. I can look at it. What's, uh, what, what's another one you use it? Um, from that, say, from a medical standpoint, we have. Um, it's interesting. It's not truly a medical app, but it's one that we use in our program. Kind of, I was the one that kind of started us using it. There's a program called NoteSpark that takes basically text-based notes and will allow you to more or less push them out to multiple devices. The, the way we're using it now is that the, the attendings are doing their lectures. We had a, already had these handouts that they would do with each lecture, and they have a lecture, um, a didactic section, where there are you know, uh, six or seven of us residents and then one attending who's giving us just a one-on-one -on -one lecture. They would have these handouts in paper form, and you'd have like 19 pieces of paper in each pocket of your white coat, which for those of you that wear white coats, they, you know they have a lot of pockets, and so that's a lot of paper. And um, so what we did was we took all, a lot of those lectures. We haven't got them all yet, but we took a lot of those lectures, converted them over to this format, and now whenever they make edits, whenever they, um, whenever we want to look at those those le those lectures, they're right there. We can pull them up at a moment's notice, and whenever the attendings update them, they're automatically updated. So if something changes in the literature, which is happening on a weekly basis. It's all there. Hmm. Wow. Um, so let me uh, let me ask you this. So, so your colleagues, your fellow residents, mm -hmm. um, do, do do they use smartphones for resources? What, what kind of what kind of? Because you know, what, back in the day, you know, what, when I was when I was a resident, you know, we used paper. 
and uh, you know you may remember that. Uh, but uh, what, what, what are what are the wards now? Are, are are they using these smartphones? Are they using you know uh, you know little PDA devices or little laptops or what what what's uh, what's the resident using these days? All of them actually. Um, we have a our program switched last year. Um, at the behest of our incoming interns who wanted something a little bit different than a Palm, uh, which is you know, just your standard PDA kind of thing. They wanted something a little more up-to-date, something a little bit more um, user-friendly, I guess. And so we switched to the iPod Touch. And now everybody, when they come in, gets an iPod Touch in our program. Uh, we still use paper. All of our orders are still paper. All of our notes in the hospital are still paper. Um, but our EMR in our clinic and our electronic medical record there is completely computer-based, and we use, um, actually, we have Fujitsu um, convertible tablets that we use with that, um, which uh, I, I'm quite fond of, because that's actually my surrogate computer. I don't use it a lot for my personal use, but I, I kind of do sometimes because it's the only computer. I think we have the same computer in our office, yeah, Fujitsu. Yeah, yeah. solid, um, solid um, you know, workhorse kind of computer. It's... The ones we have now are only 10. When we switch to our new EMR, we're actually going to be upgrading to the, the active 10, and the, the screens actually have capacitive touch. So like an iPhone or an iPod or you know, a Droid or whatever. So the, um, the, the advantage there is going to be this new sort of combination where you can use handwriting if you need to, uh, but you can also use just your fingertips to, to kind of bring the information in. So we use, we use pretty much everything. Um, and we have a pretty robust set of, of iPhone apps. We're actually, um, and this is kind of one of those things I don't talk about because it's still in the development stages, but we're actually trying to write an app for checkout um, for just residency programs in general. Um, one of my uh, residency program director's sons is a computer programmer, and I did a lot of the early design stuff, and you know I have a little bit of a programming background. So I shipped him all of those ideas, and we're actually trying to come up with this thing that we could use that we could actually even market to the programs to facilitate checkout, which is a process where we hand off information about patients that we're taking care of, meaning um, meaning, meaning that for the it's kind of kind of, kind of like a like a change change of shift or morning to evening or you know that type of thing. Yeah, for the people that aren't medical, but every, all the doctors have gone through checkout, so. <laughs> right. Right. Huh. Okay. Interesting. Um, so let me let me shift things towards like uh, like social media. So uh, so d does your does anybody in your program know that you're on the show here tonight? Uh, they all do because I was giddy with anticipation prior to uh, to coming on. So I told them all that I uh, was going to be on tonight, and uh, some of them were, were laughing about it, but. Uh, you know, others of them were interested in it. Um, most of them have Facebook pages and, and things like that. But um, I'd say I'm I'm by far the techiest uh, of the of the crew. Do you guys uh, does your program work with medical students? Uh, quite frequently, we actually have a contract with the Georgia. Um, that's actually the Pennsylvania. Georgia PCOM is what we call it, but it's the College of Osteopathic Medicine. They're a um, satellite school. And uh, we have third-year medical students that are rotating with us on a regular basis, and then we do fourth-year med students that doesn't on an as you know as first-come first-served basis. Hmm. Okay. I'm just kind of curious um, as far as you know, do, do, do you see the med students or even even the interns, you know, utilizing things like uh, 
you know, Twitter and Facebook and blogging and, uh, um, you know, podcasts. That, are, are you seeing that in your experience or not really? Oh, yeah. Everybody's using it. I mean, and to some extent it's mostly things like Facebook to communicate, but I've got friends that blog and, um, you know, especially once they have kids, um, that that becomes a bigger part of it because where we are in residency, a lot of us are, interestingly enough, there are six of us from Kentucky here in this program. And so we're all, you know, several hundred miles away from home. It's a good way to keep up with those people or people that we haven't talked to in a long time. The other thing is is that from the standpoint of not just socializing, but for us in general, just communicating, um, we use a lot of different things like that um, or try to. Um, and then from the standpoint of the podcast, the, it was an amazing invention that um, I, I will probably rank right up there in my top ten for all time because when it comes to learning medical material, there's no better way than you know plugging one of those on while you're doing something else, uh, especially if it's like running or you know working out. Yeah, I mean, I, I I see you know medical education you know eventually embracing a lot of this stuff. Um, you know, it, it would be really cool even if a, a residency program, you know, you know, made an app. There's an app for that. Um, and this is this this is our program. These are our this is our curriculum, um, and you can download it from iTunes. Uh, you know, stuff like that. Right, and we we're doing that sort of indirectly, um, but I don't know how. Uh, it's not all in one place, and it's not. Um, I don't know. It, it would be uh, that would be really, really sweet. Um, and it, you know, as a, as a goal, I think that's kind of where I would like to go with what we're designing. But again, the the problem right now, and we we kind of talked about this before things. And I, I'm going to breach the subject now. The problem right now is that our leadership on the on the highest levels isn't thinking like that. And whether it's a matter of age or a matter of you know not thinking about where we came from or where we're going to be in the future, I guess would be another way to put it. Um, they, they don't take into consideration that this is where the majority of people, and I don't, it may not be the vast majority, but a large majority of people live. Um, they, they live in the Twitterverse. They live in the, you know, the era of the podcast and everybody's got a smartphone and everybody um, has a Facebook page, <laughs> you know, and they don't take advantage of that. Um, you know, our academy, while I love our academy and I am a member of our academy, I am frustrated with our academy. And I, to, to put a fair spin on things, I was a big part of the academy. That's where we met. And I did a lot of things um, as a student that, you know, and had an opportunity to kind of to talk to people and try to contribute. But it never went anywhere. They would ask for my opinion and then not do anything with it. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and you, you don't have to worry. Nobody from the AFP ever listens to this show, so it really doesn't matter. But, you know, I mean, it's, it, it, it does make me sad, uh, and uh, I, I've uh, written blog posts about it before, um, and it's not just uh, our academy. I mean, I think organized medicine at the highest levels um, are uh, have really lost touch uh, with uh, their membership, uh, and I think they've really been uh, a kind of um, uh, um, they're really uh, in the beltway now. They're really in the beltway. They're disconnected from the rest of the rest of the membership, 
Um, and it makes me sad because there's a lot of good people out there, um, and uh, they're, they're just playing politics. Uh, and uh, you know, I, you know, it, it, even though that's where you and I met doing organized, um, you know, I see it's kind of drifting away from that and trying to find another model somewhere and saying, hey, well, there's got to be a, a somebody else or another organization that that uh, you know that that uh, has the same values uh, that we do. Um, and just does not play politics just to play politics. And uh, it's, it's very sad. It makes me very sad to, to, to say that and to write about it. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I think it has to get out there. And I, and I know that you and I are not the only people uh, that, uh, you know, think like this. And that's true. Uh, you hear, I hear it a lot. Um, the, the, the thing that I hear, or I guess the lack of hearing, is the, is the key the most is nobody's talking about the academy right now. Um, and even the people that are dealing with it day to day uh, just don't, it does, there's, a, there's almost an apathy about it. Um, and and it, if there's any sentiment, it's usually negative, um, just like you said, but they're not representing us and they're not, um, I, I don't know, that they're not listening to what we're saying. And and to an extent, that's, I think there are other issues at work. And you know, somebody on the on the on the chat room just mentioned something about um, you know innovation not fitting well at the center. And I think that's true. Um, I was always on the fringes, but that's why they I don't know if they were joking or not, but that's why they said they kept me around um, was because of that. Um, and you know, I laughed at that at the time, but truthfully, somebody's got to do it. Um, and if you're not afraid to do it and you're not afraid of those changes and you're not afraid of, of becoming something more than uh, just a, a figurehead, um, and I'm not a very you know, representative one at that, you, you kind of have to have those people. You have to have somebody that's willing to jump out there and stick their necks out. It allows for the the the... I guess the organization as a whole to be safe and insulated, but at the same time, if people take off with it, then you can just follow it. Um, and unfortunately, they just didn't follow. I mean, we took off. I mean, people took off. Let me look at your show. Your show is a prime example. And I'll be honest with you. You mentioned something at the beginning of the show that was only partly true. You said I just sort of recently entered everything. I, you know, I, and I have been on Facebook for a long time, and I've had the, the blog is new. I've had that Twitter account forever, just never used it. But the, um, I've been following your blog. Um, since before your big reveal, actually, um, your reveal of your true identity, your Superman outing. Um, <laughs> and so, uh, you know, I've actually been um, a lurker for most of my, my medical career um, and following the medical blog community. And so, um, you know, that was kind of, I don't know, that was kind of how I knew that I wasn't alone. You know that whole radio free, radio free Europe idea. You're, you're not right. somebody else out there that's <laughs> yeah. like you. There's somebody else out on the fringe, and somebody who's actually doing something about it. Yeah, yeah. The, the, and the frustrating, you know, is that you know we, we we were there, we were in it, we were in the middle of it, uh, and you know, you, you can only try, or I can only try, change for so long. Um, I can only bang the wall, the wall for so long um, and say, hey, you know, they're not listening. They're not choosing to listen. They're too afraid of change. Um, I can go over here to this spot uh, 
um, where either I'm by myself trying to innovate or try to find people who think the same and we can get together and try to do something great rather than trying to fight the status quo, which you can only do for so long. If you don't find enough allies um, you know, trying to innovate, um, then it's, it's in your by yourself, then just forget it. And I think that is what has happened um, a lot to organized medicine is that the people that are there, um, the power people are not going to leave, and they have successfully insulated themselves from any kind of change, uh, and, uh, and they've done that. So, and, and it's sad because um, they, they have lost touch with the the you know with the grassroots with the people who are going to work every day seeing patients every day not in the walls of Washington DC trying to play politics and be a better lobbyist than another organization and that's sad right and and, and that idea that um and it's it's kind of how and again not to jump into this but it's the same thing that I see I've seen for years with just our just our government in general and it's almost like the the academies have become more more and more like a political body and less and less like a a representative body that sort of pushes out the the new and cutting edge information to the rest of the members. No, I I agree with that. I agree with that. And uh, I, and I sh- and I think I believe that shift was happening when we were there. Um, I mean, and I think because w- when I started um, that stuff. Um, you know, there was a lot of stuff about clinical information um, about you know this disease process or this group um, or this unique group of patients for family medicine. Um, but as we have gone through, they they have shifted their emphasis more on things, which I guess you know is good in some aspects, but is not good in other aspects. Um, so, but yeah, I mean that's that definite shift has happened and it has completed. And I hardly hear anything anymore of any kind of uh, clinical advocacy for much of anything for patients. Exactly. And, 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 you know, it seemed like at the time, and this is one of the things about the PAC that I was really kind of excited about, uh, was that there was a push to to be that, that voice for the patient. Um, and that's you know, but only at the political level, and 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 that was what the lobby was going to be about, and it was going to be about making sure that the patient's voice was heard along with the physician's voice, and that just didn't play out. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, uh, um, so I, you're going to be going to the, to the to the big family medicine meeting in the summer. It, it takes place every summer. Uh, so you're going to be going back there, I presume, probably some recruiting from your uh, for your program and trying to 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 meet the people, meet the students, and the kind of the, the good tradition out there uh, in Greenwood. Exactly, and uh, and that's kind of what we. I, I don't know that that's what it's reduced to for me. I you know I used to get excited in medical school about going to conference because it was a chance to to do all those wonderful things that we talked about, you know, being that voice and that advocate and learning about the, the science and those kinds of things. But, you know, uh, this time around, uh, it's a recruiting trip. Um, and, and I'm sure there will be other things there that will pique my interest, but that's not the main reason I'm going. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
don't know if there's anything else to to cover on this before we move on. <laughs> I, th- I think I think I said I'll need I'll I'll need to say right now. I mean, of course, I'll probably still be writing about it. And um, but it, it's it's interesting that uh, I didn't know that you were a lurker for a long time. Uh, that's oh, yeah. uh, uh, that's that's humbling to me. Uh, just hearing somebody uh, say that because you know I never know who's out there, and let let alone people that I know that are out there. Uh, so, uh, so that was, that was very nice for you to say. And, 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 you know, like I said, I don't, I try not to say things that aren't true, but, uh, in that case, it's not, I mean, I, I have always looked for, you know, and I think everybody does that. You look for people that are, that think like you do, um, just like you were saying to group with. Um, Okay. Uh, I know before I let you go tonight, I, I know we talked before the show about this warrior dash. Uh, and it, it, it's very interesting to me. Uh, kind of break it down for the listeners here. What is the deal with these Warrior Dash? Okay, so um, www.warriordash.com for people that want to read along. Um, but it's basically a running event. If you've ever heard of things like the Mud Runs, or it, it kind of think about the um, the gauntlet that they make you run at the end of boot camp for for Marines and, and other armed forces. Uh, it, the idea is to push you kind of beyond what you're normally doing. Um, excuse me, I'll be honest with you, I'm probably never ever going to run a marathon. I may never do an Ironman or a triathlon, but this thing, when I saw it, um, and thanks to, again, to drop another name, Amy Gehe, who put a post on Facebook about this thing, um, I, I saw it and I was like, I have got to do that. Um, but it's a race. Um, in this case, I'm doing the, the Southeast race, which is a 3.2-mile course that starts out with sort of a street run uh, over – it's in a state park in North Georgia. And uh, it starts out with a street run that's about a little less than a mile, then turns into a cross-country run of a little over a mile, and then kind of finishes up – thanks, Crown Talk, I forgot about I, – I misspoke there. It's a crucible, yeah. But the, I was thinking of American Gladiators. Anyway. Um, <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah. With the next, um, with the next, next mile, the final mile, which is slightly more than a mile, I guess, is all of these um, sort of fun obstacle type things. You know, you have the cargo nets and the warrior wall, which is kind of like the big wooden wall that you climb over, like uh, the crucible. But then there are other things like there's a tire, a high step through tires, and a leapfrog on these platforms that are out in the middle of a lake. Um, you have to jump from platform to platform you know, without falling in the water, and there's a you know, rappelling down a ravine, and um, the, it kind of culminates with a couple of really warrior-like activities. One is jumping over fire, and the other is scrambling underneath barbed wire uh, to get to the end. So uh, it, it's just a really neat idea to me, this idea of um, you know, doing something for the fun of it, not just because you want to prove something. <laughs> it looks It looks very interesting to me. Man, it's, the little huh. clips they've got on their website are hilarious. I mean, if if it's half as fun as what those look like, I think it's really exciting. And, and you know, I'm not—I'll be honest—I'm not a big drinker, but occasionally like to enjoy a, a Guinness or two. Um, and there is free beer, so. <laughs> well, there you go. There you go. Huh. Um, so. Uh, Um, so, so after, after residency, then are, are you, are you originally, 
so you're from Kentucky, right? Are you going to be coming back, or what? Do you know? Do you know what your plans are after residency yet, or? They're still kind of um, flexible, but um, in general, the plan at this point. My dad, um, you know, I said earlier, he's a family physician. He's actually a practicing physician in Northern Kentucky. We've talked about going into practice together. Um, he's young, even though he did go the long route. Um, he um, actually just had a birthday a couple days ago and uh, turned 48. I'm sure he won't mind me telling people that. Um, actually, that's wrong. He's not 48. He is, no, he's 48. Anyway, I had to think about how old I was. Um, but he turned 48, and um, so that means he's probably going to have another 20 years, given the life expectancy of most physicians as far as how long they practice. He's going to have another 20 years of practice, and so we've really seriously talked about going into practice together, and it's kind of an opportunity I can't pass up um, because he's always been sort of one of my heroes. Wow. Oh, great. Great. So that's the soft plan at this point, but you know, we'll see how it eventually all pans out. So, uh, so when you finish, uh, have you? Uh, so, do you want to do kind of full scope uh, family medicine, or have you got to that decision point yet, or do you know, you know, I mean, do you have particular interests uh, that you do more? I mean, do you like to do a lot of derm cases, or do, or, or do, would you like to do OB when you finish, or um, any of those type of things? Honestly, I love everything, but. Uh, I don't know how tenable OB would be in Kentucky, um, you know, with, with malpractice insurance premiums being almost more than the average physician makes in a year. Uh, it's kind of hard to, to justify doing that. Um, now, that's not to say that I, I will never do it. I, I never say never. But um, I, I just I, I don't see myself doing OB when I get out. Do I want to know how to do it, and do I want to be able to do it if I need to? Definitely. And will I keep my skills up? Probably. I'll probably still do the, the advanced life support and obstetrics course uh, just to keep my, my registrations up and things like that. So, but I, um, I, I doubt that I will be, um, be doing it on a general, regular basis. Um, as far as things like derm and other procedures, any procedure I can do, I love to do. Um, and so dermatology scopes, you know, the, the colonoscopy stuff, there's a big push by the, the gastroenterologists to not have family physicians doing that stuff, and I don't mind that. But, um, yeah, exactly, no sleep. I like that. Thanks, Grand Doc. But um, that's, that's, <laughs> that's, that's, that's not just OB practice. But, um, but from the standpoint of, you know, procedural stuff, I would love to do all that kind of stuff. But I don't know necessarily um, – how much of that's going to fall under our practice? We, and we've talked about different models of practice. The other thing, something that, um, you know, another whole hour's worth of conversation. But um, you know, Dad and I talked about things like concierge and boutique and all of those other big fancy words that everybody's been throwing around here recently to kind of get around some of the problems with with medicine that that are inherent in the system we currently have. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, we'll definitely. I mean, I'll definitely have you. I'll bring you back, and we'll we'll get into those fun topics. That that's a that's a whole different show, and uh, um, and uh, I I uh, am curious about your uh, your opinions about that. Just to hold your opinions because I want people to listen when they when you when you come back. Uh, <laughs> oh, don't worry. But I, uh, I can, I can talk that'll be uh, <laughs> that'll, that'll be fun when you come back. Um, 
Uh, so before I let you go, so do you have questions for me? Since since you've been a lurker for a long time, uh, to to uh, to me. Uh, so because uh, I know we haven't we haven't really talked forever. So uh, we talked for about two minutes or three minutes before the show. But uh, um, so I guess you've been kind of seeing me blogging and podcasting and video podcasting and things. There, there's there's uh, there's stuff that I can uh, help you with, or you have to, uh, you know anything when having to do with uh, social media. Um. If you had to pick one social media outlet, and this is what I was kind of thinking about today, if you had to pick one, which one would you say that you your stranded desert island question? If you were to had that, you were allowed to have one of them on your stranded desert island, which one would you take with you? Well, what do you mean? Like if you were stranded on a desert island and you could only choose one thing to do, if you could choose to have Twitter, or you could choose to have Blog Talk Radio, or you could choose to have your, your blog, your your Blogspot blog, or your Blogger blog, whatever. Um, which one would you choose to have with you? Um, Which one do you think that you, you get the most combination of self-fulfillment and, and reaching the most people with? Uh, yeah, I, I, would, I, would, I would agree with Grunt Talk. Where, where, where I started uh, was a blog, and uh, I, think, uh, I think that's where, that's where anybody should start. Uh, and if that was the only... Um, the only thing that I could use that would be uh, that would be it because uh, for me and that's kind of my journey is that it started with a blog, uh, a text blog, and then uh, kind of branched off from there. So then I started to experiment a little bit with O, and then at some point I um, figured out what to do with Twitter and then Facebook and then pod audio podcasts and that type of thing. Um, so, um, so yeah, that, that's, that, yeah, yeah, great. <laughs> yeah. If I had to take one blog uh, to me with the, to the, it would be gruntdoc.com. That, that's what it would be. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and uh, you know, I've kind of seen that evolution a little bit, you know, on the fringes, like I was saying, and, and that's kind of what I expected your answer to be. But looking at all this stuff, I'm trying to think about how, you know, as an, as a second year, even now, I'm on obstetrics, which is one of our busiest rotations. Um, I, you know, the best way to put it, I guess, it, I don't know if I would have time to do everything, you know, um, and, and which one of these do I want to focus on, which one of these do I want to make good, because one of my problems with not blogging, blogging, text blogging to begin with was I want it to be something that people are actually going to care about. I don't want it to just be my random thoughts. Um, and I don't know. I just um, I want to devote. I, I don't want to do something halfway. I guess that's the, the that's part of the doctor in me. Um, I don't want to just um, don't want to just be one of those superficial people. I want to be something that that people actually get something out of. Well, I mean, the, 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 what I tell people is, and, and I should tell myself this because I haven't really written a real blog post in a long time. Well, except that one when I yelled at the AFP last week. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> Which was good, by the way. <laughs> uh, what I tell people is, you know, especially, especially doctors, you know, um, but, you know, mainly anybody, um, but um, uh, especially people who – you know, are you know a little bit on the perfectionistic side. Uh, you know, they, 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 when they when people say, "Well, 
you know, I, got, I have nothing to write about. I want to write about, you know, the, this and that, and but I want to make sure it's a perfect close. And like I tell people, just write, write anything, because um, basically that's how I started. I I, I wrote something at the start, um, thinking that nobody would read it. You know, it would just be me. It would just be my self-expression and saying, hey, this is what I want to get out there today. Um, and not having in the back of your mind, well, you know, this is not perfect, or what if this person reads it or that per-? I mean, it's just, um, if you're going to do it, I mean, just do it. Even if it's, I think my first blog post was like five lines saying, hey, I'm here. Um, and then you just kind of go from there. It, 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 takes, it takes a while to, to find your voice, um, to find what you want to say, um, how you want to say it. Um, and uh, um, the the only way to really to do it is is to uh, um, is is to just to do it, which is you know kind of silly. That's how it is. And yeah, you know, and I tell people now, you know, you know, I, I get email now about you know these you know these TV interviews that I do for local TV news here. Um, and you know, I, you know, that would never have happened. I you know, didn't do all this experimenting and innovating with social media. You know, it it really helped hone my skills as a communicator uh, for media um, to to do a little bit of text blocking, to do a little bit of video, to do a little bit of audio. I think that's really the future. So for people starting out, well, yeah, the text blog is is the place to start. Um, but as you get comfortable with that, don't uh, – don't settle for that. You know, start experimenting with this and that. You know, I mean, even before this show here, you know, I, I, I did I experiment with a lot of audio podcasts myself, failed a lot of times when I first started doing some video. You know, it was awful. Um, but I keep doing it and keep doing it and do a little bit at a time. And, uh, you know, curiously enough, you, you, you start to build an audience. You know, your audience grows with you, you know, um, not just the numbers, but, you know, they see, you know, where you were at the start and they kind of see where you are now. And that's a very gratifying type of experience. So, you know, for your blog now, I mean, you know, it, it, even if you just post a picture, you know, you know, once or twice a week or something like that, or maybe just a little bit of text, you know, three or four lines or something like um, that, that's going to be enough. Uh, and, and that's what I really encourage you to do, is even, even with a resident, as a resident, you don't have to talk about work. You can talk a little bit about work. You can talk a little about your family. You can talk a little bit about life. You can be silly. You can be stupid. You can, you know, post pictures from, you know, the warrior dad. That's going to be good stuff. Um, so just a little bit of everything. There's really no rules at all. That's actually, I, I do, um, and that's one of the reasons why I like um, that that side of things, that the, the blog itself is just because you see it's so versatile, um, whereas things like Twitter and even Facebook, which is sort of a, Hodgepodge of things, anyway, but the they they limit sometimes what you can do. Um, so so yeah, that's that's kind of what I was looking at today was just ways to do that. And and I'm going to second what uh, 007 said there. Uh, you know, she's not that sneaky. Um, that you really have been doing a great job with your TV stuff. I've been kind of watching that up from the periphery too, and it's you, you throw just enough humor into it to make people actually probably want to watch it. Um, uh, versus most newscasters who I can't stand to listen to for more than <laughs> Yeah, thanks. I, I appreciate that. And, and, you know, and I guarantee, and just, just to give a, just give another little needle on that stuff, you know, I could guarantee you that, you know, the people down there at the AFP, they've never seen any of that type of stuff. <laughs> you know, they just have their, they just have their overcoached, 
you know, people, the PR people, you know, doing, it's just, it's not, it doesn't really look real to me. It looks very, very fake. Yeah, interestingly enough, that's actually, that was the day that I realized that it was time for me to start moving to different things um, and focusing more on things where I could actually get something done was the day the PR people shut down pretty much everything I said all day long. Um, we were in a meeting for one of the committees and, and, um, and nothing against PR people. PR people are, 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 they serve a purpose. But they basically, every idea I had said, oh, yeah, that's a great, um, um, yeah, let's do this. And it was totally opposite of whatever I said. Oh, yeah. So, All right. Anyway. But, um, but yeah, and that's, and that's, again, this is something, and this is, again, a topic for another, for another talk, but, one of the things that I've really thought about doing in, in our practice, regardless of how we set it up, is, um, and this is something I've been toying with as far as a, a business idea, even expanding it beyond just us, is, and, and I've seen some people do it. I've never seen any great, um, broad-reaching uh, use of it, but it's setting up something like a text messaging server where people can actually send in health information just by text message. Because everybody, you know, especially people that are, are going to want to participate in something like that, they've got a smartphone. And... Let's say that you're checking your blood sugar or you're weighing yourself or you're checking your blood pressure at Walmart or whatever. How long does it take? You could do it while you're doing those things. You could text message into a, a text server that would then be redirected into your EMR that would automatically update that information. And, you know, Twitter does it. Why can't I? Um, and so th there's so much room for social media in healthcare to be able to provide the information that we need to push forward um, that day-to-day, -day, um, uh, just I, this is the, the public health in me, I guess, that day-to-day -day living that translates into year-by-year -year living. Oh, yeah, I, I uh, um, and, and I know you, you guys probably still do, you know, senior projects or something like that uh, in residency. I mean, I, it would be great uh, to see what you come up with because I know you're going to include social media and public health in whatever you do uh, for whatever this project is. I mean, I, I presume most programs still have to do that, and um, and it's, it's going to be cool to see what you come up with. Yeah, and that actually, it's funny that you mentioned that because I hadn't thought about it from that direction. But that actually, because I've already got like three senior projects that I'm working on. <laughs> um, nice. Is um, the the General Electric has just come out with their new V-Scan handheld um, uh, ultrasound, and uh, I'm trying to to work on a, a grant system that we can get one of those for the clinic because for family medicine it's perfect. Um, you can use it for cardiac, you can use it for OB, you can use it for um, a lot of different things, uh, you know, just abdominal stuff. So. Um, the technology, integrating that technology into education, which is a, a place where that would be perfect, that, that device. And so um, that was the, that was my first one. The second one actually ended up, um, we started working on um, just echocardiograms in general. And for people that don't know an echocardiogram, ultrasound of the heart, the, the things we look for is something called an injection fraction, which is how much blood gets pumped out. And um, the test itself is very expensive. Um, it's like $200, $250 just to get that injection fraction. We could do it at the bedside and do a 
pretty decent job of approximating it, and that's what this project is, is to study how good we would be at approximating it compared to the, the official overread, um, and get a, a bedside ejection fraction, which is what most people really need. They don't need a full echocardiogram every time they come in, and see what their cardiac function really is, visualize it, per, you know, actually see the heart moving. Um, and so it's things like that, and, and integrating technology into our integrating technology into our practice and not making it something that takes extra time or that you know, makes us have to do extra work, but making it a part of what we do every single day. Cool, cool. So that actually could lead into you know, making technology part of everything we do every single day. It could lead into the social media project. So, anyway. <laughs> I'm sorry I gave you more work to do. I apologize. I, you know, actually, it, it's not so much more work as it is. It's just a really cool idea, and I want to run with it. <laughs> Well, hey, you know, I, since I got it, since I got you into it, I mean, if I could help in any ways, let me know. <laughs> got it, got it. I may be picking your brain just to kind of see um, where where it leads me. Cool. Uh, so, Jerry, we, we have a, we have a few minutes left here. So, um, do you have any uh, you have any close, closing thoughts for us here tonight? Anything I forgot to ask you? Right? And any other uh, any other rants that you have uh, before? Uh, before I let you go, I mean, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll the next show I'll let you have more rants. But uh, you have any more uh, rants for the evening here? Um, nothing specific, other than to say that um, you know that the idea of communicating in, in groups like this is very refreshing. Um, I get some kind of you know I get some discourse in the residency program. I get some discourse with just some of my general friends, but but. As far as putting medicine and technology together, uh, you know, I've only got a core group of one or two people that I talk to on a regular basis that we can do that. Um, and those of us that are that are sort of tech heads, especially people that have a background that goes deeper than just typing on a computer, um, <laughs> uh, the, <laughs> the to me it's hard, hard to frame, but yeah, exactly. Our job to me is to to stand in that gap and be the translators. You know, we're going through this process right now of getting a new EMR, and what I have learned um, is if you know the tech side and you know the doctor side, doctors really want a black box. They want things like an iPhone where you push a button and it does exactly what you want it to do. But when you involve them in the design process, they want to tailor every single detail of what's going on behind the scenes um, to make that happen. And what physicians a lot of times, especially without a tech background or just a little bit of a tech background, don't understand is that the easiest way on the tech side of things is for you to tell me what you want to put in and what you want to get out. Let me figure out the black box. Let me figure out what goes on inside. But you tell me what you want to put in, and you, um, and, and you let me um, make it put out what you want it to put out. And that is the the number one thing that 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 I've been learning in this in this whole process. But but all that to say, um, the two worlds are so vastly different if you look at them on a on a on a micro level or on a on a really on a micro level. But on a macro level, there's so many similarities, um, and that's why I think I love both of them so much. You know, the the even the sociology <laughs> is amazing because there's this. Is different in, in, in anybody that deals with IT on a regular basis, if you're, especially if you're not a tech kid, you understand this. IT people are a different breed. <laughs> and oh, yeah. Way. 
um, and you have your own hierarchy, even within your little groups. Um, and it's like, I, and this is another one of those random, you know, my head is full of useless knowledge things. But remember Nick Burns, your company's computer guy, um, Jimmy Fallon's skit on Saturday Night Live? He would come in yeah. without the computer and he would say, oh, you um, you, you want me to change your password? Oh, did you try, you know, dumping your buffer and doing this and this and this? And they would like, they'd say, well, no, I didn't think that was like, Move! And he'd kick him out of the way and just get down and start tapping away on the computer. And, and that that pervades medicine and technology alike, um, and it's something that I'm trying to get rid of. But it's that idea that um, that person is an elitist, and they're trying to, to make you feel bad on purpose. It's, it's not what it is at all, most of the time. Some people are like that. Some people are just jerks, but that's, that's, we're, we all have our, our flaws. But it's the idea that if you don't know, you know how to do this, and, and this, is, this may seem like a black box to you, I push this button and this happens, if you don't know, understand what's going on inside that black box, it's going to take me more time to teach you than it is for me to just do it. And that would encourage, you know, that 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 thinking pervades medicine and, and and technology alike, IT alike. And the truth is, that's not that's not the whole story. Because if I teach you how to do it now, I don't have to do it for you the next ten times it happens. Right. It saves us both time, and that's the same medicine as it is in tech. Um, and so that's. Um, the other big thing that's probably going to come out a lot in my in my blogging is just that idea of if we become educators on both sides um, and just start talking about these things, people are going to be better for it. Hmm. Yeah, I, I I really hope that uh, uh, I've been looking for it. I've been I've been looking for the uh, you know some pockets of you know the family medicine resident community out there in in um, in social media, and I haven't I haven't found them yet. I know there's there's probably pockets out there. There's probably groups out there, um, and and I, and I hope that uh, I hope that uh, that uh, that I find them, and I hope that you're looking for them, that you're finding them too, because there, there's more people out there that you know that, that are sharing these experiences, uh, and not just you know in this country, but internationally too, as far as you know what's it like going through residency training and family medicine and. You know, um, I, I, I know they're out there, um, and that's one of the great things about the Internet is that we just have to find them, um, and, and that's the community that, you know, that we'll be in. Um, and those are the people that we're looking out for, and, and they're looking for us too. And, you know, that, so our group is out there. Uh, we just have to find them, and, um, and I hope we do. The, the, the exchange of information and ideas are just going to be uh, just, just going to be mind-blowing. That's the, you know, and at this level, really, I guess we're becoming more the architect. I mean, if we can get people to gravitate to us, or if we, even if we find people to gravitate toward, we're still sort of on the cutting edge. Jerry Tolbert, MD, MPH, Philly Medicine resident from Greenwood, South Carolina. The blog, and I know Jerry's going to be blogging now. I'm very excited about that. You can go to uh, Paging Dr. Geek. All spelled out uh, in drgeek.blogspot.com. And uh, friend him up on Twitter, Dr. Tolbert, D-R-T-O-L-B-E-R-T. Uh, Jerry, it's been so so great to have you on the show. It's been, it's been great great to connect with you again. Uh, it's a bummer that uh, you live so far away because, I mean, you know, we could definitely share a beer somewhere and just, like, talk about life and see how we're going to change the world. Um, but I know one of these days you know, get together again. Yeah, you know, even back on the show here. Um, 
and uh, but uh, but yeah, you know, just uh, keep keep fighting the good fight, my friend. Uh, there there's people like us that are still out there, and uh, you know, we'll we'll be uh, uh, you know we'll we'll be uh, coming together soon with uh, with like people, and uh, we can we can still take over the world, you know. <laughs> well, thanks for having me on. Uh, great. So thanks, thank you so much. I'll definitely you know be be following up with you. We'll uh, we'll we'll we'll, we'll uh, talk about less controversial things like concierge medicine uh, on the next show. Uh, how about that? <laughs> Sounds like fun. <laughs> All right. Uh, good night, there, buddy. All right, kids. So that's it. So it went way long here tonight. So uh, uh, sorry about that. Uh, but it's a fascinating uh, conversation. Just to let people know. Uh, yeah, a, a quick uh, a public show here, uh, just to kind of uh, decompress a little bit. Uh, you can go to DrAnonymous.tv uh, right after I close down over here, and uh, people can make fun of me over there. That is my. Uh, that is my. Uh, Ustream live video site, and I'll be up there uh, just uh, chat with uh, with my friends, all of you, and uh, we'll be chatting a little bit uh, after after. And uh, so, my thanks to uh, Dr. Jerry Tolbert, family medicine resident, Greenwood, South Carolina. Check out his blog, follow his blog, because uh, this guy, this guy for this guy, he's gonna be he's, he's gonna be he's gonna be very good, uh, very good out there in social media. Paging drgeek.blogspot.com. Follow him on Twitter, Dr. Tolbert on Twitter, and uh, that's all I have for you here tonight. I'll be uh, over to the uh, post show in just a few minutes here. Thank you all for joining me. There won't be no closing song. I'm just going to shut things down and uh, change over to the post show, so I'll see everybody in a little bit. Just go to DrAnonymous.tv right for the post show. Otherwise, you can go to DrAnonymous.com, DrAnonymous.net, DrAnonymous.org. Have a good week. Have a good weekend. Good night, everybody.